Um, we're continuing on um, in our series, the heart of our church, our core values, um, what we believe, what we're all about. And uh, we mentioned already some of the topics that we've gone over. Uh, the first week was on Bible preaching, the Word of God communicated. Uh, the next one was authentic worship, the praise of God given. The next one was um, having a welcoming spirit, um, the heart of Jesus shown. Um, last week we talked about having, uh, showing love in action, one of our core values. We're going to be a church that shows love in action, the hands of Jesus working. Today's message is on um, a stand for truth, the truth of the Bible lived out. And uh, each message that we've had, each core value that we've shared, has come with a purpose statement. And I want to read the ones we've done so far. Bible preaching. Coastline is a place where the Bible is preached clearly, the truth is spoken in love, the gospel is shared continually, and the word of God is the authority. That is our core value of Bible preaching, authentic worship. Coastline is a place where God is glorified, Christ is magnified, and the church is edified. We will worship from deep in our souls, recognizing our great need and God's greater grace. And I hope as we spend time in worship on Sundays that you're remembering uh, this core value of ours. And as we come in uh, and, and find our seats and stand up to start singing, that we are, we are looking deep in our soul, recognizing, man, I need Christ and I need this worship today. And not only am I going to lift my worship to God, but I know that me lifting authentic, authentic worship to the Lord encourages and edifies those around me. And it will continue to do so as more people come people that don't know Christ. They're going to stand, sit in these seats and stand and, and kind of hear our voices lifting up Christ and think, wow, this is real deal. Man, this, these, these guys really believe this. Man, God, God is working in this place. Authentic worship, a welcoming spirit. A coastline is a place of grace. By remembering God's love for us, we will strive to show a welcoming spirit to all who come. All who enter our doors will know that they are loved, valued, and important. We're going to have a welcoming spirit in last week's on love in action. Coastline is a place that looks for needs and meets them. We are a picture of Jesus to all those within our reach, no matter their background. To the best of our ability, we will pour love into our community. And, and this is in the purpose statement, but obviously we also know that uh, not just our community, we're going to focus on our community, but we're also going to be a blessing to missionaries and church planners. Um, and it, some of uh, our friends um, from Connecticut, they're going to be coming and visiting soon. They're planting a church um, in Connecticut, and we're going to be blessing to them. That's not necessarily our community. We're pouring love. That's showing the love of Christ in the ministry of the gospel in other churches. But today's core value, we're talking about a stand for truth, the truth of the Bible lived out. In the world that we live today, in the country that we live today, in America, I believe that there has never been a more important time to stand for truth. There's never been a more important time to stand for truth, to stand for righteousness, to stand for Jesus Christ. Our country is so unbelievably divided, uh, as such division. Um, in a time of division, in a time of, in the church world, of blatant theological heresy, there is some crazy stuff being preached out there and some crazy stuff being believed. And I'm not just talking about, you know, people handling snakes. I'm talking about, in some of the biggest churches, there's some false doctrine being preached, and it sounds so believable and so good, people are eating it up. In a time when not just belief in God seems to be waning, but the morals of our nation are fading away. You don't have to look very far 
I'm watching the news just to recognize, man, this place is a mess. Right has become wrong. And wrong has become something to be glorified and be praised and be applauded. You don't have to look very far to see mockery of God, to see insult on our faith, to see the disappearing of any form of morality. Children are being abused by the thousands every day. I'm tired of opening up the news app, the Mass Live news app, and there's story after story after story of, of sexual abuse in, in, in churches and in homes and in, in foster families and all across the board, and it's just, it's tiring. Countries are being torn apart by political corruption. Man, we think we have problems in our country. Man, look around the world at political candidates being murdered so they don't have a chance to run for office. My goodness. State leaders are giving way to bribery and manipulation. Pastors are stepping down from ministry day after day after day because of moral failure, because of secret addiction or complete burnout. Churches are closing their doors, or they're either closing their doors or they're staying open and pandering to the political climate of the times, going against what the Bible says for the sake of numbers and popularity. I mean, it, it, and, and much more can be added to all of those things. And when we hear those things, like, wow, what a great message so far. Thanks so much for the encouragement today, Pastor. Listen, it's, it's not, it wouldn't be very far-fetched to ask, is there any hope? Or is there any reason to stand for truth? Because many have st stood for truth in the past. Many have, over the centuries have stood for truth, have stood for the truths of the Bible and even died for that faith, only to, to have those same truths trampled down decades later. Is it worth it to stand for truth? Well, I believe before those questions can be answered, we, we have to first ask ourselves as Christians, as a church, what are we really striving for when we stand for truth? W what is our end goal as we stand for truth as a church, as individual Christians in today's world, in our communities? What is our goal? Are we trying to just make clones? We want everybody to look, think, act just like me. And then, and then my stand for truth will be worth it. What are our motives as we stand for truth? And really, what does it really mean to stand for truth? To have a stand, whether it's a noun, uh, uh, having a stand for truth or a verb, we are standing for truth. What, what does it really mean to stand, to really stand for truth? Is it, is it solely based on biblical doctrines? Standing for the truth of the Word of God? Is it, does it include moral political policies? Or is it about our, our personal preferences and convictions? No, I can't speak for each one of you personally because your definition of standing for truth may include some of those things. And, and truth be told, sometimes having a stand for truth does include those things. It certainly, definitely may include those things. But for the message today, and for our church as a whole, as a group, as a body of believers, the body of Christ, our stand for truth is not limited to those three categories or anything else. In fact, our stand for truth is about something bigger than those things. It's bigger than just moral political policies. It, it, it's, it's, it's more than, than just uh, 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 solely Bible doctrine, soteriology and eschatology and all those things. It's, it's, it's more than just that. It, it's, it's obviously beyond personal preferences and convictions. It's about something bigger, something honestly more important. 
So let's first look this morning in John 17 at what truth is. If we're going to stand for truth, if we're going to have a stand for truth, we have to answer the question, well, what is truth? What is ultimate truth? John 17, verse 17 Jesus is praying to the Father in, these, in this chapter, and he's saying this, he says, Sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them, his apostles, Christians, the New Testament church, sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. A, a beautiful passage of scripture, Jesus talking really about the crucifixion and the gospel, his gospel, as he says, man, I'm, I've set myself apart. He is the promised son. He is uh, the, the blood shed, the payment for our sins. He, he set himself apart uh, so that they may be sanctified through the truth. And I said, Jesus is praying a prayer to the father in this chapter He's in the presence of his apostles. He, he's praying for his apostles. And in the chapter, we won't go through all the verses, but the first part of John 17, he's praying for himself. And the second part, which we just read, he's praying for his apostles. And he finishes John 17 by praying for all New Testament believers who will make up the church. And he prays for unity, that they'll be as one, uh, that the, the churches in the future will, will be together as one, and those who believe the gospel will be united. And he prays that in John 17. But in these three verses that we just read, Jesus prays for change in his apostles. Sanctify them. Change them. Make them holy. Set them apart through thy truth. And if you have your, your blanks there on your paper, where does real change, where does Jesus say that real change comes from? Well, he says in verse 17, sanctify them, change them, make them holy through thy truth. Real change comes from truth. But what is the truth according to the words of Jesus in the next phrase of this verse? He says, yes, sanctify them through thy truth. He says, uh, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. So if we look back in this same gospel of John, what does the Bible say the word is? What does the Bible say that the Word actually is? Who the Word actually is? John chapter 1, we see the verses say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so, where does real sanctification, real change come from? It comes from truth, it, and that truth being the word of God, thy word, and the word made flesh. Where, does it come from, does this real change come from standing out on the sidewalk with picket signs? Does it come from looking down on those who don't look, think, and, and act exactly like us? Is that where real change comes from? Does it come from thinking that we're the smartest person in the room because we have studied out the doctrine of soteriology and we know everything about it and we just wish everybody else was smart? Is that where real change come from? Come from? Those things, no, it doesn't come from those things at all. Real change comes from Jesus Christ. He is the Word. 
Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. The, thy word is truth. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the word of God proclaimed. The word of God. Uh, the revelation of God come down to earth to die for our sins. To rise again. Jesus Christ. Real change comes from Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if any man be in Christ he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's a new heart. It's a new mind. If we're in Christ, it's a new way of thinking. So when I say that one of the core values of coastline is, is a stand for truth or standing for truth, whether it's a noun or a verb, I'm not talking about any specific policy or personal preference I'm saying that as a church, when we, as we stand for truth, we will stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. We will proclaim the name and power of Jesus Christ. Our goal, our aim, our mission is Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we won't stand against abortion. It doesn't mean we won't stand for the biblical definition of marriage. I'm not saying those things. It doesn't mean that, oh, we don't talk ever about those things. It doesn't mean that I won't preach against the sins of the flesh. It'll just be everything. It'll just be, you know, oh, and that's not what I'm saying. And that's not what I'm, I'm saying at all. It doesn't mean that we'll have a church that has no beliefs about the issues of our time. That's not at all what I'm saying. It just means that we will face these things from a different viewpoint, from a different vantage point. Romans chapter 12, we looked at these verses a few weeks ago. Verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In verse 2, talking about standing for truth. And be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we talk about having a stand for truth as a church or as individual Christians, and we look at this verse, be not conformed to this world. I think oftentimes our definition of worldly is skewed a little bit. Oftentimes we think of the, and I, I preached many a sermon as a youth pastor, as a younger man, using that word worldly, kind of, kind of making it say whatever I wanted it to say. And using this verse, I could say, be not conformed to this world. That means you shouldn't do this, 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 and this, because that's the world, and, and we don't want to be worldly. And we read that verse and, and often assume that it's talking specifically about the external, what we wear, what we listen to, what we physically do, where we physically go. Be not conformed to this world. But that's not what Paul is talking about in this scripture. If you look at the context of this verse and of these times, the world that is mentioned, conformed to this world, it's talking about the age, that age, that, that, that era of time, the time period, the thought processes of that time where Paul was, and really for any age for those who read this in the future. At this time, in Paul's day, there was a, this, this new form of belief system called Gnosticism. 
and these Gnostics, and really it's just a fancy way of saying, you know, these Gnostics were smarter than everybody else. They said they had a higher form of knowledge and wisdom and this mystique about them, and nobody else was as smart as them, and they really had all the answers, and, and they were really the answer for all. And this, this belief system was so prevalent in Paul's day. So when he's saying, be not conformed to this world, he's talking about their day, their time. And when we read that, we're not talking about all the things we do and don't do. It's, it's bigger than that. The command here in this scripture is, is not, don't do the things the world does, but more, don't think the way the world thinks. Not, not, don't do everything the, wor the world does. Don't do this, this, and this. But it's more, don't be not conformed to this world. Don't think the way the world thinks. Now, I understand that you may say, well, those things, don't they just go hand in hand? And, and yes, in a way, I, I understand what you're saying and what, maybe what you're thinking. And that's true. If I don't think the way the world thinks, I more than likely won't do the things the world does. But, but I have been a person. I have been a Christian that may not do the things the world does externally, but still think the way the world thinks. Does that make sense? Because churches are full, and pulpits are full of members and pastors and Christians that may look the part, and they may look great. They may have their suits on, carry their Bible, never miss a service, always out for every activity that the church is hosting, but their hearts and minds are far from him. And they, are, they may not be doing the things the world is doing. They may not be going to bars, or they may not be going to this, or doing this, or listening to this. And they say, hey, I'm not doing any of those things. Look at me. I'm not worldly. I'm a great Christian. But their minds and their thoughts are thinking the same way the world thinks. What does the world live for? That's the question. Unbelievers, those who are lost without Christ, how does the world think is the question. Not what does the world do, and I won't do those things, but how does the world think? Those without Jesus, those without Christ, those against God, how does the world think? Well, oftentimes the world, those without Christ, that don't know Christ, they don't have the spirit living inside them, they live for money. They live for money, the next job, the next promotion, the next raise, saving up for this, for this toy, for that toy, and they live for money. Maybe they live for popularity, fame. I want people to notice me, I want people to know me, I want to be praised, I want to be, I want to be recognized for my efforts. And you, in the world, those without Christ, man, they live for popularity, maybe they live for comfort. I want things to be, I want everything to go smoothly. I want security in my life. That's why I work so much. That's why I do all this. That's why I make sure this is in the right place. I, I have to have that security. I live for that security. My thought process, everything I think, everything I do is to make my life comfortable. Maybe it's relationships. Relationships, man, this is where I find my sense of peace. This is where I find my sense of, of joy is in the relationship in my life. Maybe it's a sense of purpose. I, I, I have to, I, the, the reason I'm alive, I have to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know what it is. I've got I to figure it out. I, I, I have to have a sense of purpose. 
People search and search and search. And listen, these, these five things, none of these are inherently wrong. Money is not wrong. But the Bible says that the love and obsession with money is sin and is wrong. Very rarely can we uh, have a money be our focus in our minds and have it not turn into an obsession, into really a love. The love of money is the root of all evil, the scriptures say. Popularity isn't wrong. It's not like every person that's well-known is obviously, you know, is a loser and is, is someone that can't be trusted. Popularity isn't wrong by itself, but needing it is. Needing to be popular, needing to be noticed, needing to be loved and praised, that's a problem. That's sin. Comfort is not a bad thing. I like comfort. I like to be comfortable. Security. I like to be secure, and, and I like to have my finances in order so I can take care of my family. Listen, those things aren't wrong. Comfort isn't a bad thing, but losing control when you lose that comfort is wrong. Relationships are a great gift from God, and, and they benefit our lives, the relationships that God has placed in our lives, unless our sense of identity is based in those relationships. See how each one of these things are really gifts from God and blessings of God that we twist with our sinful nature. Relationships aren't bad, but when we use the relationships in our life to, to find our identity, that is wrong. A sense of purpose. Listen, there's nothing wrong with searching for purpose. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know what does God want me to do with my life. A sense of purpose is vital for life. But often people, the world, we're talking about how the world thinks. They search and search for that purpose in things that are not meant to give that purpose. Maybe they find, try to find purpose in their jobs or in how many people know them or in their comfort. And, and purpose is not meant to be found in any of those things. Now, church, I have let money control my spirit so many times. Just ask my wife, especially when we were in, in, in our church in Michigan, and man, I would just stress. If money was great, I was on cloud nine. Things are great. Oh, yeah, on top of the world, this is awesome. And then the second money was tight, man, I got bent out of shape. I was irritable. I was stressed, and I allowed it to affect my life, and I had a lack of trust of God in my life. I have let money control my spirit. I have craved popularity and praise. I have allowed that to become a need in my life in the past where I had to have people notice me. If someone didn't notice me, man, it ate me up. I have longed for comfort, for the easiness of life, for things to be just easier. I have based peace, the peace of my heart, on relationships going perfectly. I have searched for purpose in frivolous things. Church, that is being conformed to this world. Thinking that way. Because you know what? All those things I just mentioned that I did personally, in every one of those situations, I was faithful to church. I was on staff at a church. <laughs> I was faithful to church. Was dressed up nice. You know, was, was listening to, to good, wholesome, godly music. And my heart was wrong. That is being, that's what it means to be conformed to this world. 1 John 2, 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, which, by the way, those three, those three uh, sins there, those three categories of sin, you can find all of those in those five things I just mentioned that we allow to become centralized money and popularity and security, all those things, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Verse 17, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Church, all that we foolishly live for will fade away. We can live for money. And we can even be successful in that search for money and find a great job and get that promotion and save that money and have these full savings and checking accounts and have all the money that we ever thought we'd have. But that is all going to fade away. And I promise you, you'll get to a point when everything is there and all your finances seem to be in order and you're still going to be lacking. All that we crave, all that we say that we need is not met through the thinking of this world, the thinking of this time, the thinking of this culture. It's not, we're not, we're not going to be satisfied. What we need, what we live for, what we stand for is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. Instead of living for money, we live for Jesus and we serve him with our finances. And when the money doesn't seem to be there, you know what we do? We don't fret, we don't stress, we don't get mad. No, our thinking has changed. We're not conformed to the thinking of this world, of those without Christ. We have Christ. So when the money isn't there, we can still rest in Jesus Christ. And when the money is there, we use it for the glory of God. Yes, that means providing for our family. Yes, that may mean getting some, something nice for yourself. I'm not saying that every penny we have extra has to go to somebody else. I'm not saying that. But if our hearts are in the right place, if it's focused on Jesus, if our stand for truth is based in Jesus Christ and that's our life and that's our thinking money won't be an issue the lack or the lack of it instead of living for money we live for Jesus and serve him with our our finances instead of trying to get famous trying to get popular trying to gain fame we make Jesus famous it's about him. It's about his name. It's not about me. It's not about the messages I preach and, and, and how good of a preacher that I can try to make myself or how big I can get our church. No, it's about making the name of Jesus popular. It's about making the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ well known. That is what we live for. We're not conformed to this world. We're not focused on ourselves. I want people to know Donald Savini. No, I want people to know Jesus. That's our church. That's our goal. Instead of looking for security, instead of looking, living for comfort, and i got to have everything be perfect and everything's got to go my way. Listen, instead of that, no, we, we are content in any situation because of Jesus Christ. Man, that's a hard one. This past week, church, my son Seth had a hard week. He had a hard week. It was tough, man. He had the first couple, three different times, these meltdowns that we've never really experienced before and almost hurt himself. So, and you know what I, I did? I sat up in the hallway against the wall and just said, why us? You get so used to it. You get so, it becomes so normal to you until it doesn't. And you're like, this stinks. This is, this is annoying. This is not easy at all. But instead of me living for comfort, I, I, have to, I have to live for him. 
and understand that even in those hard weeks, that he's enough. He's enough for me. He's enough for my wife. He's enough for Seth. I have found that whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Not because everything's going great. Not because I have this great sense of comfort, but because of Jesus Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We don't live for those things. Instead of letting the status of our relationships control our spirit, no, instead we focus on our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the relationship that, that gets our most, the most of our focus. It gets the whole of our focus. And when that relationship is in the space it should be, when that relationship is our main focus and our main drive and our main mission and our main goal, when we are focused on falling in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the other relationships in our lives will benefit from that relationship. But in Satan, we do, we focus on every other relationship except this one. We wonder why all our relationships are so dysfunctional. Because we're not in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our thinking is skewed. Our thinking is flawed. Instead of searching for purpose in all of the compartmentalized sections of our lives, we recognize that Jesus is our purpose. He is to be glorified in our lives. We, we, we no longer, when we, when we are not conformed to this world, when we are transformed by the renewing, the changing of our thinking, the renewing of our mind, we no longer compartmentalize our life. It's no longer, here's work, and here's church life, and here's uh, my marriage, and here's my friends, and here's this, and here's all these different parts of my life that I've compartmentalized, and then, and then here's my walk with God over here, and I'm going to read my Bible now, but then I'm going to hang out with my friends over here. No, it, it, that's all gone. It's just one big box. It's just one big compartment. And it all goes together. Work and, and life and, and marriage and church and walk with God. It's all based on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our purpose. And he's glorified in your marriage. And he's glorified in, in your walk with him. And he's glorified at your job. And he's glorified in the lives of your friends and in your circle of influence. That is the purpose. That is our purpose. Christ can and should be glorified in every part of our lives. It shouldn't be just little sections here and there. Hey, Sundays, God gets the glory. Christ is number one. Yay, Jesus. And then the rest of the week, we forget all about it. That's compartmentalization. That is dangerous for the Christian. Because you know what? There also is usually a, a, a compartment of secret sin and addiction that no one knows about. And it's over here, hidden from the rest, and we go and visit it sometimes, but then we do the rest of our stuff. We work, we go to church, we read our Bibles, all these different things. And instead of putting everything together, when you bring this secret sin and addiction into one big, big pile, and everything's together, and the, your walk with God, and your love for Jesus, and his love for you is all together, man, it takes care of that. But we like to compartmentalize our lives. It's dangerous, church. It's dangerous, church. He is our purpose. As a church, as individuals, we're not concerned with making everyone look like us. We're concerned with making everyone look like Jesus. 
know Jesus. That's the goal. We're not we're, we're driven by finance. We're not driven by financial success or, or popularity, but we're we're driven instead by the grace and love of Jesus Christ in our lives. He is is what drives us. We're not focused on ourselves and getting what we want, but we're more focused on standing up for the needs of other people. Listen, that is a change of thinking. That is being uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds and not being conformed to this world, to this time, to this age. Church, to stand for truth is really a change of thinking. That's what it is. A stand for truth, a stand for truth is, is found in, in bending down to wash the feet of another. A stand for truth starts with kneeling before God and letting the truth of the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ change who we are and change how we think and change how we see this world and how we see our lives. That's how a real Genuine, authentic stand for truth begins by kneeling before God and letting His grace and His gospel change the way we think. It's so much bigger than externals, guys. So much bigger than that stuff. It's about our heart. That is our stand for truth. Listen, will our stand for truth ever include standing up for the righteousness of, of our nation? Probably. Will it ever include speaking out against grievous sin uh, in our communities or in, 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 in the new... Yes, maybe it will. Will it ever include calling out heresy or false teaching? Definitely. Yes, I understand all that. But may our hearts and minds not long for that kind of stand alone. May our hearts not say, I can't wait till, man, he just calls out this guy or till he just does this or till he... May our hearts not long for that alone. But may we strive to stand for truth in a way that makes a real difference in the lives of those that God has placed in our lives, in our families, in our communities, and in our circle of influence. That's the kind of stand of truth we need. That's the kind of stand for truth that we need in our lives personally. The one that makes a real difference. Our statement as we finish up and pray. Our stand for truth. Coastline is a place stands for the truth found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the foundation for everything we think and do as a church. We are driven by this central mission as we strive to live out his truth in this fallen world. It's about Jesus. It's about him. And if, if we can just figure that out as a church now, it's going to save a whole lot of headache later on if you can just remember that, that your purpose, instead of looking for purpose in everything, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to do? You just say, no, it's Jesus. He, he will lead the way. He will guide. He'll, he'll show you. He'll show us as a church. Our stand for truth. Our stand for truth, that's one of our core values. It's not about standing for any specific law or, or policy. No, it's about we think differently than the rest of humanity. We think differently than those without Jesus Christ. Our thinking is different. Our goals are different. Our mission is different. We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're trying to make a name for Jesus. That's our stand for truth. Lord, we love you. We need you. We thank you for being so good to us. Lord, I ask you to bless our time of invitation that we'll have. 